Hi guys, welcome to the Macros Bodybuilding and Powerlifting Podcast. Thank you guys for all the support we've been getting. It's been amazing. We really, really appreciate it. And we hope you're getting a lot of value out of these podcasts. That is exactly what we're doing them for. So I'll let the guys say hi. Say hi, guys. Hello. Hey. So we've got Mark and Mike again. And uh, we're going to just give you something kind of a, a bit of fun before we start this really, really in-depth sciencey chat because that's going to happen. And I'm going to start off giving you a English or British slang word. And uh, hopefully a lot of people are appreciating my British accent. British accent. I know Americans love it, apparently. Uh, so I am going to give you bugger all. <laughs> so I, that pretty much means I'm not really going to talk to you in this podcast because Mike just gives it all. And uh, I'm going to do bugger all. And that is my British slang word for you. <coughs> and, uh, that essentially means I'm going to do nothing if you didn't get what I meant. <clears throat> so uh, Mark, have you got a nice... Yep aggressive Scottish slang word for us? Okay, I've got a couple. Um, one, fit you Dean, and the other one is fire you gun. <laughs> Any guesses, anyone? If, if, if you guys want to take a guess to, to know what that is, fire you gun. <laughs> is that where have you gone? Where are you, so far you gone, where are you going? Or fit you in, what are you doing? So, wow. Yeah, we've 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 got our own language in in Aberdeen. Wow. I can't really top that with Americans. I'm not much of an American, unfortunately. You guys picked an Ameri like a Russian immigrant to America to talk about slang, but I guess I did grow up in the states. So like, okay, so on the on the I think on the West Coast, they like to say hella a lot. So like, oh, that guy's hella strong and hella this, hella that. And uh, you know, my girlfriend's from the Bay Area. It's like San Francisco, and she says hella all the time and make fun of her for it. And then uh, on the East Coast, like Boston and stuff, they say wicked a lot or mad. Oh. Like, yo, that party was mad wicked, son, or something like that. I'm not even <laughs> sure how that works. But, uh, <laughs> like mad and wicked, they use a lot. So uh, it's just funny. It, I mean, it's like it's nothing too crazy. I mean. Like uh, I spent a lot of time in the South going to school, and I, I gotta get you guys gotta get some one of our. If you have Derek Wilcox from RP on this podcast, which I'd highly recommend, he can he can tune you into some Southern slang that makes no damn sense at all, but it's, <laughs> it's awesome. So. Yeah, I always hear like y'all. That's one I always hear y'all. That's y'all. Yeah. Cool. Sure. So hopefully you guys found that fun because yeah, <laughs> and uh, Mark, introduce the podcast. Go for it. Okay, yeah, so this week we wanted to ask your thoughts, Mike, on weak point training for powerlifters. Um, so powerlifters who are looking uh, to get through a certain sticking point in a lift. So, for example, maybe a squat, they're getting stuck in the hole or they're just they're struggling to add weight on the bar. What kind of methods would you implement to help that and um, progress the squat? Would you add some particular exercises in, uh, maybe bands or boxes, or stop squatting altogether for, for a block of training? How would, you kind of, how would you kind of approach that situation? Oh man, 
So boy, do I have a treat for you guys. I have counted at least eight logical steps that we have to take in both deciding if specialization is a good idea, uh, weak point training, and uh, also figuring out how to do it best. So, you guys ready? Ready. Yeah. All right, number one is uh, kind of a no-brainer, but it has to be done. Um, you actually have to objectively determine if it's a weak point or not. You know, some people say, uh, man, I, I, you know, I need a front squat more, I have weak quads. And you look at how their leg presses and their front squats compare to their high bar squat and low bar squat, and it turns out they compare very favorably. So the, the idea that you could deal, you could have higher your leg strength is great, but that gets confused with the idea that your leg strength is limiting. You see what I'm saying? Like, and not just limiting. That's actually another another question altogether. Uh, it's the confusion that it's it, that it's a weak point. You know, because some people just make up weak points. Um, but they they will uh, you know hypothesize a weak point altogether. In addition to that weak point, so is it an actual weak point? And does that mean is it the muscle itself that is not sufficiently large or strong enough? Or is it a technical issue? I think a lot of people start to bring up weak points when it's in fact their technique that's lagging. And fixing technique is uh, you know, a good idea. So like a, a, an interesting example is people will uh, start to kind of cantilever forward in the deadlift. And sometimes they'll say, man, you know, I have weak hamstrings. Uh, maybe. But sometimes when you teach those individuals to simply make an effort to not cantilever over, they do just fine. It's a cueing issue. They just, their technique was off. So, you know, um, so sometimes it's really not a, a you know, a, a muscle issue at all, and, and you have misdiagnosed your weak point. So I think that's worth saying. First, diagnose your weak point. Second, it's fine to work on weak points, but you have to ask the question, of, is it a weak point in the sense that training it will bring it up and make you better? Or is it a weak point in the sense that it's a limiting factor and that nothing else you do for anything else is going to help until you fix this one weak point? So let me tell you what I'm talking about. In some lifts, which tend to be relatively simple and involve only two main moving joints, for example, the bench press, if you had no triceps at all, like just literally didn't exist, and you had only pecs, you could still bench press. And because, you know, the bar is attached your hands are attached to the bar, just using your pecs to do this with your humerus, right, it, it literally just, it must lock out your the bar. It has to, right? So as the pecs contract and you pull your uh, upper arm bones together, that force will be transduced into the bar one way or another. It's the same way that you can barbell bent row with no biceps at all. Like, you just use the lats, it's going to pull the elbow up, and it has to complete the elbow pull, like, Period. There's no other way around it. Now, so can your triceps be a limiting factor in the bench? To a certain extent, yes, because at the very end of lockout, you know, the pecs can't mechanically contribute a whole lot more, especially if your arch nerve retracted, and uh, the triceps start to become a really limiting factor. But for the most part, just getting your pecs stronger can increase your bench. So if you're really concerned that your lockout strength is a problem, you know, just getting all around stronger might help you just as much as getting your triceps stronger because they may not be a true limiting factor. However, there may be lifts which I do have true limiting factors. Triceps, if they're very weak in the bench at the extremes, they can be true limiting factors. 
but more than likely in a more compound lift, more complicated lift like the squat or the deadlift. So for example, if your uh, deadlift is lagging because of your glutes, they're just not strong enough. Uh, you know, your glutes are not your only hip extensors, your hamstrings are as well, and just with an upright posture, your quads can quite literally squat you into a deadlift, and as long as your lower back doesn't round, glutes will never be a limiting factor in your deadlift in a technical sense, but having stronger glutes almost always helps the deadlift. However, a muscle like the lower back, for example, the lumbar spine in the deadlift, can in fact be a true limiting factor. And it almost always is in the deadlift, actually, that uh, you know, if you have the strongest glutes in the world, the strongest legs in the world, the biggest hamstrings of all time, and you rip that bar off the ground, if you can't keep your back from doing the question mark, then you're going to put yourself in a mechanically very disadvantageous position. Now, let's say that your glutes are so strong that even that isn't a big deal. You can still lock out your hip. The problem is your back is grounded at the top of the lockout. And the judges don't see that as a locked out lift. You're just kind of hung over, right? But your hips are almost fully extended. Now you're going to have to perform a concentric action, which is actually much more difficult than performing the isometric action of starting out with a decent shape back to begin with. Um, so, you know, there is a certain level of lower back strength that if your lower back starts to round with deadlifting and it's, a, and it's not a technical issue, it's a strength issue, you don't have to drop everything else and get your lower back stronger, but that must take priority because that is a true limiting factor. Similarly to grip, right? Uh, if you can't grip the bar, it doesn't really matter what else is strong. You've got to get your grip up. So that's a true limiting factor, and then that's an argument in, in terms of favoring it for priority. Uh, make sense so far? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So the the third one is after your following question: You're willing to invest a certain amount of time into prioritizing one muscle group or, or movement, for example. On the other hand, their pecs are like small, maybe muscle area, muscle volume, just poor insertions, origins to begin with, and they're just not very responsive. But some people just have a real hard time growing their pecs. They don't get much stronger. They don't get much bigger. If that person realized they quote unquote have weak packs, and remember it's like a, it's kind of a the lift is a kind of a closed circuit lift, either the triceps or the pecs in large degree help with the bench. So if that lifter decided they okay my pecs are weak, okay they they are actually holding me back. It's not a technique thing, and they wanted to work on their pecs for two months straight. That's going to give them a certain amount of strength increase, right? And then it's going to go over to the main lift. But if the pecs respond like this and the triceps respond like that to the same mm. amount of work, maybe they're just better off training their triceps more, at least in that part of their career, until their triceps are so big and scary that they're really lagging, uh, or the pecs are really lagging, and then maybe it's time to, to use the pecs. So this isn't an argument uh, you know, uh, on responsiveness for absolute, like should you ever prioritize, but maybe if you have a meet coming up and you really want to bring up a lift, like you have to qualify for worlds or nationals, and you've got a, ma- a macro cycle to do it six months, might not be a good idea to prioritize the hell out of your very poorly responsive body parts. Yield not much. You might just push your very responsive body parts even more so long as they're not true limiting factors. Does that make sense? Like, you know, if your glutes are okay, but they're, they don't grow so much, but your quads just grow from everything, 
you know, as long as you have good hamstrings, good spinal erectors, it, it might just be worth yeah. it to just keep pushing your quads on the squat. And, and, and then, you know, eventually when it really comes time to evaluate, you can. But I think people a lot of times assume that because they, you know, muscle is weak, as soon as they bring up that muscle, everything's going to be great. And, and they're correct, but bringing up that muscle may be really difficult in part. That's why it's weak to, in the first place. It's just not very responsive. You know? uh, what do you guys think about that? Any, any questions about that so far? Any clar clarifications or anything? So I guess... To just go through those three first points that we have to get right before we, well, out of the eight. So the first one is, is it actually a weak point or is it technique? So I think completely right in that so many, like, I mean, a lot of strength is technique based. And when you're peaking strength in particular, it's like, well, not that you, not that you want to focus on technique during peaking, but you want to get into that period of peaking with good technique. Um, and so it's important to have had that. So I think that's really important because I think, for example, like I know for with my squat, I used to come onto my toes all the time and I find it really hard to sit back into it. And you might think, oh, I don't know, maybe my quads are a limiting factor because I'm coming to my toes and I can't, I break at my, and my quads aren't strong enough. Whereas obviously I needed to get my technique into a better position uh, to allow that. So I think that's really important. Then step two, um, what is kind of, the weak point is it really a limiting factor so like triceps obviously maybe are a small contributor to your bench is it the lockout that you're struggling with or is it actually off your chest which is typically where more people struggle so obviously the, the pecs are a bigger contributor to that um, mm. so yeah identifying that the weak point is truly actually going to be useful to get stronger mm. um, and then three I guess was that to do with timing so if you're far away from a meet, then maybe that's a time to work on some weak points. If you're getting close to one, and you've got strong points that you can make better, and you can get a bigger total by phone, rather than trying to do your all to bring up a weak point that's not going to improve your total much, then you should prioritize the things that are going to do give you the best result for the meet. So kind of technique, true weak point, um, and then timing off that. Yeah, just kind of how responsive a body part is versus another one. And, you know, not all lifters are supposed to be perfectly balanced. Uh, lifters are imbalanced, and you got to do you got to do the best with, you know, what you got genetically. And sometimes that means using you, some body parts biased away from others. You know what I mean? Um, you can't if you try to go for perfect balance, you'd be the perfectly balanced, not so great lifter. But if you, you use the quads or the triceps or the chest or whatever that you got genetically. You may be able to go very far away without maybe trying as much to prioritize if you have deemed some body parts relatively unresponsive. You know, the, in bodybuilding, this kind of bridges with our last conversation. I remember Marcus Marcus Rule is a big bodybuilder uh, back in the just recently actually, and he was a really good bodybuilder. He was gigantic, and you know, his triceps were never really that big, and um, he had suffered numerous injuries to his triceps because he was training them so hard to try to get them to be bigger. And he just didn't really. And, you know, people would say, like, man, like, what do you think you're doing with your triceps? Like, do you think you have any tricep tips? Like, why are they so small and your biceps are so big? And he goes, you know, my triceps just don't respond all that well. And, and, and believe me, I've tried everything. And I believe him. Um, and it's just, you know, I'm going to try to get everything else bigger. And I'm just going to try to do my best with my triceps. But I'm not really hoping for, like, arm symmetry or balance. Like, yes, my biceps are going to be there. I'm going to keep getting them bigger because I want gigantic arms. I don't just want small arms so my biceps and triceps are in balance. You know what I mean? And there's something to say. It's one of those things that 
I think people think that everything in lifting, when you figure out everything, it goes perfectly. When you figure out everything, it goes as good as it can. That doesn't mean it's perfect. So we have to accept realistic limitations sometimes. I guess that's like someone, if you could take it, strip it real far back, someone who maybe squats more than a deadlift. So they feel like, oh, my deadlift's weak because my squat's stronger, which most people don't. And then they focus on bringing up their deadlift rather than making their squat ridiculously strong. Totally. Totally. Absolutely. So moving on, number four, and that's actually a perfect segue. So number four is career timing with regards to specialization. Uh, now this isn't um, something that I'm 100% sure about, but it's a good hypothetical line of reasoning, and I, I'm pretty confident in it. Uh, some of these components are definitely more true, uh, more likely to be true than others, or just more certain. The first one that is very certain is that individuals in their beginning years need to focus on a variety of lifts in a variety of areas, training the whole body evenly because they don't know where their genetic points are going to be and they also need to build a good base for expanding strong points. So when you first start training in the first at least three years of formal lifting, you should do everything. There is no, you know, as guys who train for a year, be like, I have a weak chest. Shut up. You have a weak everything, right? you got to get everything bigger and stronger. That's how you find out where your genetic proclivities lie. You find out how some body parts respond to training. You may very well think that your chest is accelerating way beyond your triceps, but then you learn how to do a skull crusher properly and your triceps start speeding up like crazy. And you're like, oh man, I had no idea. But in the first couple of months or years, you don't know anything about your body. And yeah. It's really pointless to talk about weak points when everything's a weak point, right? Uh, it's like trying to become the most balanced jujitsu white belt, right? <laughs> okay? Like, uh, you know, like, you gotta, I gotta make sure that this also sucks. Like, no, okay? <laughs> you know, balance is, is the best gotten by training everything relatively evenly. And if some things speed away from others, you shouldn't pay any mind. You just rotate through everything as planned. In your intermediate stages, what you should probably be doing is working on your strong points. Because strong points, responsive lifts, responsive muscle groups are what get you to the top. Chad Wesley Smith isn't squatting what he's squatting because of his hamstrings. It isn't have hamstrings that are the strongest of all time, but he never stopped training his quads really hard. You would think, why does he still high bar squat when his quads are so strong already? Because it's those strong quads that lead him to low bar squat that much. So when people find out they have a genetically gifted body part or movement and they stop training it, they're literally taking away their biggest sword that they're going to take into battle. Like, uh, a tank is built around a main gun. And it's not built around five guns, all kind of shit, and they all kind of point in different directions. And the entire architecture of the tank is built behind the main gun. Now, do you need armor? Yes. Do you need a good engine? Yes. Do you need little guns on the side to make sure people don't approach you and throw Molotov cocktails in? Sure. But but it's all still around the main gun. So just the same way, right, um, you know, if you have an unbelievable deadlift because of great leverages, work it. That deadlift is going to add a ton to your total. You don't want to be the guy that has a mediocre bench press, but that's 20 pounds better than it used to be. Hey, great. But you have this deadlift genetics that's unreal, and you've just never really tapped into it because you're like, well, I could always have it bigger if I want it. And there's that whole issue of timing. You make your most gains as an intermediate. Uh, you make most as a beginner, but they don't count for much because you're just starting out and whatever. You're not going to get that impressive. But you make your most impressive gains as an intermediate subjectively because that is when you are both very responsive 
and when you're not really like riddled with injuries and stuff like that. Mm. Training to bring up weak points isn't actually that hard and it's not rocket science. Training to bring up your strong points is tough because you have to put the most weight on the bar and provide the most overload. Sometimes if you even had gifted quads to begin with, by the time you're 10 years, 15 years into your powerlifting career, you finally start trying to train them. Your back is too beat up, your glutes are too beat up, your IT bands are too beat up to try to train them properly. So while you're still the healthiest you'll be, which is at the start of your powerlifting career, I promise, um, not that you degrade completely, but it gets complicated towards the later stages, get that base built and you build your base on your strong points. If you have gigantic pecs that grow like wildfire, you better have the biggest fucking pecs in the world within five years. Because then you're going to be able to bench like 600 fucking pounds and people are going to say, oh, your triceps are small. You can go tell them to fuck off because you don't bench 600 pounds, right? So we don't ever, you know, all these lifters that are the best lifters, we don't ever really judge them by their weak points. We judge them by their strong points. And that's how they got to, we got to know them, you know? Like, so it would be like, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Jordan Long, his world, world record holder power lifter. Jordan Long's squat is out of this world. His bench press is really good, and his deadlift like pretty good. Like by his, by my standards, amazing. By his standards, he probably thinks it sucks. Does that mean he stops training squatting altogether? I mean, that's insane, right? Is it, is it all deadlift priority cycles? No, because he can add 20 pounds to his total, put it on squat, but only 10 on his deadlift for the same amount of time work. So intermediates should definitely work on mostly strong points. Now, weak points should be buttressed for sure, but when you, they should really just, you know, mostly work on your strong points. Now, after about 10 years of lifting, 6 to 10 years, depending on how you mature, you can start to really seriously examine weak points. Hmm. Now, that is because uh, when you have uh, really big strong points, your weak points start to actually hold you back. Now, so let's say you have decent triceps and decent pecs, like better than decent pecs. Are your decent triceps really holding your better than decent pecs up? No, like they're not holding them back at all. But when your pecs are unbelievable, you can start to push loads that even your decent triceps can't handle anymore. So now they're a weak point. Like, yeah. Even as an intermediate, you don't really have any true weak points. You just have shit you're pretty good at and shit you're just not that good at. But true weak points are something really only top-level lifters get. And, and this is one of the situations many times in many different sports, people of various levels like to copy individuals at a high level, like to copy their training assuming that's what the training they did to get there. But oftentimes that's not the case. A lot of advanced trainees uh, people who have been in the sport for a long time train mostly to bring up weak points because their strong points are damn near tapped out. And even if they're not tapped out, the weak points are now severely limiting. So for example, Chad Wesley Smith does not have a strength off the floor problem in the deadlift because his quads and glutes are so fucking big, he'll never have that problem. But his hamstrings maybe are finally, quads and glutes are so strong that his hamstrings are a little bit lagging. And over the last year, Chad has been working on his hamstrings more. Now, is he working on his hamstrings because everyone should? Should everyone be doing his hamstring work? If you pull 800 like he does, maybe your hamstrings start to lag behind. But until then, maybe not, right? So uh, a lot of people copy people that are advanced level, and, and they should be doing programs that look nothing like them, right? And if they're beginner, they should, so there's no need to specify a certain lift. Or if they're advanced, they should be prioritizing lifts that... Uh, are their strong points. And I don't think we have to teach people how to prioritize lifts that are strong points because that's pretty easy. You just can fucking do that lift and you get better mm -hmm. at it. So most of this discussion is actually reserved for people who are getting into the later stages of their careers. Um, funny enough. But 
But we all like to think that we're race cars when we're really just, you know, maybe, um, a f you know, we think they think we're F1s when we're really Ford focuses. So um, does that make sense? So it's, it's really a little bit humbling to think about, but sometimes weak point training is kind of giving ourselves a bit too much credit in how it can answer that. Yeah, I, I think that's, I, I really like the way you've kind of almost flipped the whole thing on its head and rather than, because I guess most people will be watching this probably are intermediate lifters um, and no doubt have at some point thought they've got either weak points in their lifting or body parts. And oh, yeah. Rather than focusing on that, maybe they should be embracing their strong points like, like you suggested. Um, I think, yeah, that was really interesting how you kind of flip the whole thing on its head and, and get us to think about or focus on and embrace of our strong points rather than running through months and months of focusing on the on the weaker stuff. But we don't truly have weak points yet as as intermediate lifters. Certainly not anything that's limiting in a very, very big way. Yeah. So yeah. you know, and if it passes all those other tests, it may very well be limiting even as an intermediate, then you might have to work on it. But maybe not, right? So yeah. awesome. that's why career has to be considered. So moving along uh, the next one is kind of related to the responsiveness. It's just general opportunity cost. What are you going to benefit more from? Bringing up your weak point or doing some other kind of training to bring up your strong point or just general training? Because you have to figure out how much is this really going to help. Um, you know, in, in, in bodybuilding a lot of times this happens where guys will spend a ton of time trying to bring up their hamstrings. But the rest of the physique isn't that great. So maybe if they brought up something else that was a better use of their time, or sometimes multiple body parts have to be taken into consideration. So for bodybuilding, you've got a guy who's got weak shoulders and not so great calves. He'll spend a lot of time on calves, not so much on shoulders. Calves will get bigger, and that's great, but now he looks even more awkward because now his legs look way too big for his upper body. Whereas if he spent more time on shoulders, he could look pretty good, and then calves, you know, having small calves isn't nearly as bad in bodybuilding as having small shoulders. Small <laughs> shoulders, you're, you're not going to do a whole lot in the sport anyway. Um, just the same way in powerlifting, you know, there may be things that you could be doing that, you know, serious deadlift volume increases that could help you, and, you know, you instead chose to do a lot of accessory work for your chest or for your triceps and bench that may not be paying off all that much. So you've got to look at training from the big picture and not just obsess about, okay, I have to improve this. You have to get better at powerlifting. What's the best way to get there? And if improving this, whatever it is, is part of the best way, great. Hmm. If it's not, you may have to accept the fact that, you know, you're not super going to, you know, going to be focused on it a ton because there's a, a limit to what you can do. Luckily, next is our question of limits. So just like with bodybuilding stuff, you have to figure out what is the relationship to MRV of that current body part or movement that you want to bring up. So if you have uh, concluded all of these tests were passed, you have to bring up your quads. Okay? They're a limiting factor. It's worth your time, etc. Next thing you have to question is at the current volume of training you're doing for quads, where is that in relation to the quadricep-specific MRV? Because a lot of people say things like this and they, and, they, and they never catch themselves in the act and realize that uh, they're making a big mistake. So they'll say, man, you know, I'm doing like 30 sets a week for quads and they're still not growing. Hmm. They're like, hmm, hmm. Have you tried 15? And they try 15 and they're like, oh my god, I'm getting great gains. I've done this myself too. For bent over rows, if I do a 
bunch of heavy bent rows and a bunch of back work, I get like some cool pumps, and then I don't really improve that much. Back doesn't get much bigger. I don't get much stronger. If I lower my bent row volume and I am able to use heavier weights, then I actually improve really fast. I'm I love working out. I love being in the gym for a long time. Uh, but I can't be in the gym that long for some body parts because they get their fill, right? That's the definition of MRV. Like uses any more and uses backwards. So if the body part is in fact under its MRV, the solution is to train it more, too close to its MRV. If the body part is at its MRV, we'll address that in a bit. You have some bigger problems because just more or less isn't going to work. And if the body part's above its MRV, you got to train it much less and probably give it a, a good month of kind of active rest, really, where you go back to maybe half of what you think its MRV is. So let's say the true MRV for your triceps is 20 sets per week, and you've been doing 30 for months, and they're just frayed and tired and they get pulled every now and again, and you've been getting weaker, and, and, and you go, okay, well, obviously it's not more, so obviously I'm overdoing it. You think maybe 20 is it. I'd go for about a month or two at 10 just to give them a huge break so that you could start fresh and all the little mini injuries can heal and then start inching back towards 20. Don't just go down to 20 because you're going to carry all that accumulated fatigue from 30 into 20. And you're going to get better, but much more slowly. You're just going to get less worse. <laughs> so uh, that's the deal with uh, thinking about MRV. The last consideration that I can think of off the top of my head is uh, a concern for sequence and phasic structure of lifting. And here it is. When you want to make a muscle do better work for you in a lift. You have to be concerned with three things, just like you do for the whole body. Uh, size, strength, and technique, right, in that order. First you make a muscle bigger, then you make a muscle stronger, then you make a muscle more technical. The way you do that for a weak muscle has to be concordant with the phases of your general training. What I mean by this, if you figure out your triceps are holding you back in the bench press, and you are already in a strength phase or a peaking phase, you are not going to be doing skull crushers for sets of 12 because they're not strengthening exercises, they're mass-building exercises. So if you find out only in a strength phase that your triceps are lagging, you may do some board pressing, you may do some slingshot work, you may do some heavy dips or something like that, but you, sh you sure as hell close grip work, but you sure as hell wouldn't do skull crushers and overhead extensions because those build mass, and, and that mass... Remember, the, the neurological inputs for mass building sets of 12, they make you good at sets of 12, but you actually get worse and there's a lot of volume in there and the fatigue might actually make you weaker because now your triceps are great. You have weak triceps and now they're beat up too. <laughs> good job. Like while you're trying to lift your heaviest weights. So, you know, if you figured out that you have a weak point, ideally you want to start it at the beginning of the macro cycle, but whatever you figure out, make sure all of the way of training it is phase specific. Because guys will do the stupidest shit in the world. They'll be like, yeah, my triceps are weak. So after my max singles on bench, I give them a little bit more volume of like tricep extensions. If you're fucking doing tricep extensions while you're maxing out, you're just making yourself more tired for the next time you max out. Yeah. So if you have, truly have weak triceps and they truly, let's say, can tolerate a lot of work that you haven't been giving them, let's say adding volume is the answer, the next macro cycle you start, you do a lot of skull crushers and all kinds of hypertrophy tricep exercises in the, mass, in the, in the hypertrophy phase, builds some mass, Eating more is a good idea there. Triceps don't come out of nowhere, right? So a lot of guys will 
you know, not gain any weight and wonder why their tricep hypertrophy program didn't work. Well, if you're lean already and you're an advanced lifter, how much tricep muscle can you gain if you're already maxed out everywhere else? Like, not much. It's going to have to come at the expense of something. So maybe some, gain some weight, and then when your strength work comes up, switch to strengthening exercises that emphasize the tricep more, lockout work, more presence close grip work, slingshot work. I would say actually, so for strength phase, close grip work is not. Something like slingshot work is really good for strength phase. Now for peaking phase, if your triceps still need more stimulus, which you might just go back to regular peaking exercises, but sometimes it's okay to add some special exercises during peaking, then uh, board pressing, lockout work, pin pressing work, uh, and maybe some slingshot work is a really good idea for making sure that your lockout is crisp and you've taken those triceps, you've grown them, you've made them stronger, and now you're ready to let them really exert at that top range of motion. Um, if you do one phase when you're supposed to be doing the other, you've screwed up. So for example, I've listed the example that you know doing sets of 12 and skull crusher is really stupid if you've got a meet coming up in three weeks. So it just fatigues you for no reason and actually costs you. But there's another way of screwing up, uh, doing uh, board presses for sets of 10, uh, you know, in the hypertrophy phase. I mean, you can kiss your elbows goodbye and give a shit who you are. Uh, you don't do board presses for sets of 10. There's way too much loading. It's way too much elbow stress. And uh, I know a couple of folks that have tried that. Their elbows are not doing very well. So, so don't do that, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, and, and so make sure that the kind of priority you give your musculature is phase-specific. Um, Mark, and, mm -hmm. a lot of powerlifters like to do their squat, bench, and deadlift specifically. So, for example, like a deadlift and a low bar squat, neither of them are very good for high volumes, just like a board press isn't very good for high volumes. Um, is there kind of a lot of powerlifters, I think, struggle with the idea of getting away from these exercises and putting other ones, maybe like even a deficit deadlift or a Romanian deadlift, maybe a high bar squat in their place during other phases? Do you think? What do you think, people who are continually doing squat, bench, deadlift year-round, do you think that's a problem if they're continually the core movement? I think it's a very small problem. Not a big problem. It's a big problem or a not great problem if you max them all the time or if you're close to limit weight all the time because then those exercises just beat you up all the fucking time and you're never much good at anything. And, and those kinds of going heavy all the time in the same movements, they can cause the kind of wear and tear injuries that really start to make sense. Like when you tell people how you used to train and they're like, oh, I can tell why you're crippled. Like never backed away from heavy squatting for 10 years. Like that's the same. <laughs> um, but uh, you can, some people like to use the lifts all the time, especially to stay fresh technically. Mm -hmm. I think optimally you should come away from the lifts during at least a couple of months of the year. But even if you don't do that, what you can do is just not put a ton of effort into lifts and put a lot of effort into other lifts. Yeah. Come into the gym, do your low bar squats like normal, set three by three with maybe 70, 75%, more or less like speed work. And then go to front squats or high bar squats and pound the shit out of them for sets of eight. You still got to do your other lift and uh, you added in some really good variation. Ideally, you would have deleted that lift entirely to make it fresh, um, run a hypertrophy phase and brought it back on a strength phase. But even if you want to do a little bit of practice with that, sometimes for programs I write, I'll have clients do their competition lifts on light days or light sessions every single day of the year, or I'm sorry, every single week of their training year. High, uh, low bar squatting or competition presses, but they go through phases where for an entire month, the heaviest they've gone on those exercises is like 60% or 80% 
over the 1 rep max for like triples. It's easy, it's just technique practice to keep you in the groove so that when you transition to those exercises heavy, it's just a weight transition and not a whole technical transition. But for those folks, I would say, yeah, it's totally cool to keep that stuff in, not a big deal. Just make sure you're uh, going super hard and heavy on that other stuff. If you try to go super hard and heavy on the, the classic movements, uh, and you're going peaking on the class. So, so if you try to go super hard on the classic, uh, on the on the competitive movements for volume in your off season, in your hypertrophy phase, as well as uh, in your uh, peaking phase, as well as in your strength phase, you're just never giving yourself a little bit of a break. And, and the way this works is very simply. I've, I've described this before. It, 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 it's 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 quite obvious when you say it out loud. When you low bar squat you are taxing specific joints, specific structures in exactly specific ways, like the, damn near the same way every time. So your you know, sacroiliac joint can be taxed in, in a similar pattern every single Tuesday and Friday, every single Tuesday and Friday. Just switching to front squats for a month still taxes your SI joint, but maybe at a slightly different point of that joint, a slightly different area. That area is fresh. That area can take a fucking months-long beating without aggravating. But because you move that joint stress from one area to another, you're not letting this area that was beat up by low bar squats for so long heal up. When it heals up completely, you go back to low bar and you're fine. But if you can keep doing the same identical movements over, over, you just you're overuse injury waiting to happen. And then guys will say, you know, my knees hurt when I squat. Well, what do you squat like? Well, I've been squatting four days a week with low bar for like six years. <clears throat> not like. That makes sense. Try what doesn't hurt. And they say, well, front squats don't hurt. Well, you know, try front squatting for a while. Like, yeah, but I really like low bar squatting. Like, okay. Within several weeks of starting low bar again, you will be as good at it as you ever were. And some getting away from that. And also, think about the novelty of a different lift. If you've been stalling out with just regular uh, competition lift work, think of how much more gains you'll make trying something new. Uh, I remember just five years ago, front squats came onto the scene in powerlifting. Nobody did them before. And, the, and, and a bunch of people's squats went up because it was such a novel stimulus. Like, oh my god, we actually need our quads and this is a really great quad move. And, uh, you know, so after you do a month or so to front squats, you take them out, you go to high bar squats and some low bar squatting, and after that month or two, you go to low bar squatting only, you do your meet, and there you go, that's powerlifting. Yeah, I saw Mike Tashirda recently has been hack squatting, which he hasn't done in a long, long time. And so, I mean, he's a very, very strong squatter, but he's still squatting. Well, he's doing pinned squats, I think, at the moment as well. So it's still got that specificity there. But he's doing tight <coughs> squats, which are going to help his his muscle growth, essentially. You bet. Yeah, yeah he, squat, he hack squats a lot. Holy shit. The amount of yeah. weight he uses on that machine at like a length. Hey. Yeah, Mike, I, w I was just going to ask, do you ever find... When working with the clients, um, that you struggle to, or, or or they struggle to, come away from, like going hard at the big three, like day or weekend, week out, and um, how do you, what kind of techniques would you use with clients to, almost get them to, to trust the process and, and come away from them or back away from them slightly and implement these other types of lifts. You let them keep in the lifts as light lifts so they can get their hands on the bar so they're not worried about technique degradation. Yeah. And you let them spend all of their energy training the accessory lifts hard as hell. A lot of times the reason people don't like training the lifts hard is because they think there are two kinds of training. 
training the lifts hard and then doing wussy leg extensions and abductor adductor machines and hamstring curls. Of course, nobody likes to do those things, so you don't feel hardcore. But when you're bleeding out of your face doing high bar squats until you throw up, you may not be so inclined to think that you're training very easily. and You can't wait to start low bar squatting again because it's actually easier. <laughs> you know, and People say they like to deadlift heavy and it's manly. I agree. Deficit deadlifts for reps? Killing. If deadlifting is manly, deficit deadlifts for reps is godly. <laughs> it, requ it requires something else of you entirely. And so yeah. if you let them into a lighter day later in the week when you practice their deadlifts, they're satisfied like that. And which actually could be a very good idea objectively. Mm. And if you burn the shit out of them on deficit deadlifts and stiff-legged deadlifts and high bar, good, you know, good mornings, they're not going to feel like I'm not getting stronger yeah. or I'm not training. Certainly, they're going to be like, "This is crazy shit," and this is great. Or they'll be like, "Can we please start doing regular work again? Because this is too hard." And then if they ever say that, uh, you can call them out on being wussies, mm -hmm. and that. Pretty much wraps that one up because no one in the powerlifting wants to get called that. Like, oh, is your high bar squatting too hard for you? And it's like, shit. <laughs> All right, fine. I'll keep doing it. So, um, and if you ever need uh, any inspiration, what's his name? Joe Sullivan. You guys know who that is? Uh, he's a powerlifter. Um, he he does like really really crazy rep work. Um, Thomas Neal is his coach. It's just like really nonsensical shit. Like he'll squat like six fifty for a set of eight high bar, and oh, you're just God. like, fuck, fuck. Hey, nobody wants to do that, but nobody's as strong as him. You know what I mean? Like very few people. So you no, know, is it hardcore? Yeah, you bet. You don't have to do just the competition. He hasn't done a competition lift in months, as far as I can tell. But boy, is he getting fucking strong. So. Yeah. And another thing to reassure people with the way to talk them into it is to you know if they have a basic understanding that muscles make for big muscles make for strong muscles and strong muscles make for strong movements if they know that you just have to kind of point them in the right direction you know when 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 somebody's used to squat 405 and or used to front squat 405 and now they front squat 500 in pounds obviously it'd be sweet if it was in kilos huh? mm -hmm. um uh you know are the, is their back squat going to go up if their front squat went up by like 50 kilos man what do you think? No, right? You, you, you get someone whose pecs are unchanged, their pecs will stay the same size, they didn't neglect them, and their overhead press goes from 120 kilos to 140 kilos. You don't think their bench press is going to go up? Like, after I really started working on my overhead press and when I'm healthy enough pec-wise to bench, one of the first things I noticed after my overhead press really went up is before I had a strong overhead press, I, I would bench kind of like this with my wrists really, really cocked back, and the weight would feel really unstable. When I got strong on overhead press, I would just take the weight out and just completely linearly with straight lists, wrists, and it didn't even feel heavy because if you could put a ton over your head, this is a really stable position. It's just way easier. So people, I think, have a, sometimes have a hard time understanding how that work carries over. You just got to talk to them and say, look, is, is, isn't it pretty obvious? And yeah. they're like, yeah, I guess it is. And, and but if you can do heavy skull crushers, transition into heavy JM presses, right, where you you know kind of skull crush to your neck sort of, um, and transition to heavy close grip work. You know, when you close grip bench your all-time bench PR, <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. be too concerned about your your bench when then you transition back to your bench pressing. So it's um, um you know it's a matter of just uh, illustrating that process. I think. Yeah. And then I just want to touch on briefly, if we can, because I think, like Mark said, a lot of people who are watching this are probably that intermediate type of trainee who probably doesn't need to maybe specialize so much. 
and they just need to focus on getting their programming in place. And I know you talked about building up your strengths and your strong points over your weak points as like an intermediate or kind of more novice trainee. Would you change your programming or would you just kind of set it up as if they were all going to progress at the same rate and then just let the strong ones go? Kind of like that, those strong lifts can handle way more volume. They're increasing loads much quicker. Do you just let it go and progress it like that or do you specifically kind of um, purposely put more volume towards them and take it away from your weak points? Whatever improves your total the most. So it's going to be somewhere in between the two for most folks. And I'd say the best approach is actually to just, um, here's how much training you do normally for everything, and here's how much training you do if you really prioritize those strong points. Uh, because the strong points usually adapt faster, I would say right here on average, and floating between those two depending on the training phase is probably a good idea. So uh, and I think that gives you that best balance of still bringing up your weak points enough to, so that they don't really become true limiting factors and also really making sure to hammer home those strong points. Because like you said, yeah, they don't require a super a superhuman amount of effort to grow, but we should be giving them at least as much as they can benefit from or close. Mm. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. Well, I think that you've really covered it well, and I'm going to try and surmise the points that you've gone through because, well, it's good for me because I think I'm going to learn from trying to surmise them because we've gone through a lot there, and I think yeah. hopefully I'll be able to actually get it right and all the viewers will take away from it. So I've got, first of all, obviously identifying that it's actually a weak point and not technique, and I think that's really key because I think as soon as people go to that, I think there's going to be a lot of people like, ah, yeah, my technique probably isn't right there. It's like half, half of all people probably. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, in terms of like a reference, where would you kind of, for technique, do you think there's a good book that people can go for? I know Mark Ripito is Starting Strength. I bought that when I first started lifting. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, is there a resource you think is particularly good for that, Mike? I'm embarrassed to say that I don't know. Um... Certainly nothing in bodybuilding, unfortunately. Uh, there's a couple of good books on good technique. Um, I'm going to butcher his name. Nick Tuminello? Oh, yeah, Nick Tuminello. Tuminello, all right. He's got a great book that yeah, he's got a great book that he sent me on uh, really good exercise techniques. And there are some others out there. But, um, you know, I'll tell you this, man. Almost every resource is good on technique. Just to go to a resource. Some people, you know, no one out there is telling people to deadlift with a question mark back. And no one out there is saying you could just flatten out on the bench and nothing happens. And no one out there is yeah. telling people to bow their knees forward on the squat. Most people are saying the basics are the same for most people. And the biggest way you get yourself in trouble with technique is ignoring the basics. So that's my advice. Yeah. I know RP have a lot of exercise technique videos on the YouTube channel, so... We do, but they're mostly physique-oriented. They're not powerlifting-oriented. Cool. I guess if I'm going to tell the viewers, I just if YouTube's quite a good source, but you just have to be careful where you go through. So, yeah. like, search Nick Tuminello, Eric Cressy I know is good. I know Brett Contreras is good, 3D Muscle Journey. These sort of people are going to get you kind of good technique videos. So, yeah, or go for, like, Mike Tashirda, someone who's hella strong. Just kind of look at the basic lay layout of their technique because... I'm sure Mike will say, your technique isn't going to look exactly like theirs. Just get the basic fundamentals at least right. Totally. Or just videos of Russians lifting, top Russian IPF <laughs> lifters. They're all technically very proficient. Um, yeah. 
a lot of times, uh, Russians and Asian lifters, a lot of times they just don't really make any mistakes. So with Americans, you get a lot of strong dudes, and some of the times the technique's not that great. Notice cool. they didn't mention so, any strong British lifters, because you guys suck. I'm totally kidding. It's <laughs> a fair point. Yeah, right. We did all right. We did all right. Well, we did better this year at um, Wilds, but... Um, so... <laughs> Number two is true weak point. So, um, is it truly a weak point? Is it truly a limiting factor? That's, that's yeah, the way so. to put it. Is it a limiting factor or is it a contributing factor? So, if it's a contributing factor, training it may be very well be a good idea. But if it's a limiting factor, you have to train it, otherwise the lift won't go up at all. So, yeah, so if it's not a limiting factor, it's going to be really... You, you'll know straight away because your lifts won't really improve. Yeah. And then timing for the third one, um, in terms of kind of career, training age, that sort of thing, in terms of how advanced are you. So this is what we were talking about before. Most people probably listen to this won't require kind of specialized training. They just need to build that, build that foundation of strength. Um, and then when you're more advanced, that's when like Chad Wesley Smith with his strong glute, quads and glutes, hamstrings, and now he can hammer them home and there see good things, but he's already got the strongest quads and glutes like he could possibly want. Yep. Cool. And then for the next one, I had opportunity costs. So should you just focus on doing more squat bench and deadlift? Will that just see more kind of positive things happening? Or do you actually find kind of doing some skull crushes, doing some close grip bench press will actually provide you more results? Yeah, and I think we can we can group, uh, so we skipped one, but I think that's perfect because we want to group it with opportunity cost, that how responsive a musculature is. Uh, you know, because you have strong points and weak points, and strong points are more responsive, so that goes into that opportunity cost of being like, okay, I know I can train to bring up my weak points, but maybe just even more strong point training is good because they just grow faster. So mm. I think that goes into the deciding if it's worth it or not. And I guess to discover that, would you just have to actually trial it first? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, more or less. You know, you, you know, you tend to notice that your triceps just respond really slowly, and your pecs just keep growing. So maybe it, you'd make an executive decision to be like, "Well, time to grow pecs for a while until it really becomes a problem." And then the next one I have is to do with kind of MRV and the limits. So obviously, we talked about in the bodybuilding specific one, you have a system MRV, and then you have different amounts of each muscle group. The sum of every muscle group is bigger than your system MRV, so you have to take that into account and just use that appropriately rather than just adding something on top. It's probably not going to provide the benefit. How, how do you know you're not already doing too much if your first choice is to add? You have to find out where you are, and the choice could be keep the same, but keep doing a good job, maybe select exercises better, work on your technique, or if it's you're training below your MRV, bump it up. If you're training above, bump it down. Yeah. I guess for people who aren't maybe sure what their MRV is, I mean, if you're already not progressing, you kind of could assume, and you're doing a lot, you could almost assume you are above your MRV because anything below that, you should really be adapting and getting better if you're doing a lot. On average, that's a good guess unless you're a genetic freak and your MRV is like 35 <laughs> cents or something like that. And then it can happen, but, uh, you know, I'll put you this way. Find out if you're above your MRV, start at whatever you're doing now, add two sets per week and see if after that month, after the deload, how your rep strength is. If you got worse or didn't improve at all, no, you're probably above your MRV to begin with. If you got better, then it's almost certainly that you weren't training enough. Perfect. Yeah. And then finally, I have um, sequence and phase-specific structure. So 
making sure the exercise and the reps that you're choosing are specific to that phase. So like you said, with the triceps, don't do some like high rep skull crushes when you're peaking because you're just going to actually probably worsen your actual end result. Whereas a good time to do that sort of work would be when you're doing your hypertrophy stuff and actually will complement your actual overall training. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, Excellent. I think that's, yeah, I mean, I've certainly picked up a lot from that. I hope everyone watching has. And, yeah, just great stuff, Mike. Really appreciate it. Yeah, and I was glad I was able to explain this really thoroughly. That's one of those questions, like, I've had a, I don't know about a pet peeve lately, but people ask me questions on Facebook all the time, and I try my best to answer them. And I don't like, I really hate the answer, it depends. Because us as, you know, intellectuals in this field can do a lot better than it depends, okay? It depends can also just be a cover for total ignorance. And I don't know shit, I just say it depends. I don't fucking know how to answer. So... We can do a lot better than it depends. The problem is, is it's really difficult to do a lot better to an anonymous account on your Facebook. <laughs> Someone's like, hey, Mike, you know, what is the progression of squat training from junior lifter to you know, elite master? And you're like, mm. <laughs> how long do you want? <laughs> Which is, I, I think, like one of the reasons why, why Greg Knuckles started writing these mega articles is because he's like, I'm just going to put everything I know down on this because yeah. someone's going to ask me, but what about this? And I'm just not going to be interested in typing up a response every time. So I'm really glad you know we, we took the time to talk about this obviously relatively complicated issue. Uh, mm -hmm. So now this video can be put in reference, and when somebody asks, "Hey, you know, weak point training," and you can just shove this down their throat and be like, "Fuck, I didn't know there was that much to it," but uh, you know, at least they'll be happy that they got them. No, 100%. That's a lot of the reasons why I do my articles, and then I want to make sure that these can be resources that if someone asks a question, it's like, well, listen to this, and you'll have a very comprehensive understanding, and I think that's why everyone is so appreciative of you doing this, Mike, sharing your knowledge, and Absolutely. hopefully we can disseminate it to everyone in a good, effective manner. Oh, oh stop. <laughs> but, uh, no, it, it, it's my pleasure. It's my sincere pleasure. Thank you very much for, for having me on all the time. Sounds cool. Um, Mark, have you got anything else to add? No, that, that was awesome again. I, I just want to make a quick comment on the it depends um, answer as well. And I think not only is, is it depends very lazy an answer for, for, for most questions, particularly in bodybuilding, powerlifting, because you can, or I guess it depends, can be used loosely with bodybuilding um, based on, you know, in bodybuilding if you're looking to grow a muscle and there is a lot of things that it could depend on as in preference of lifts, for example, like, you, you know, what, because we can still create a lot of volume in, in, in quite a wide variety of, of exercise selection. However, it becomes very, very or it becomes much more specific when we talk about powerlifting. So any question regarding powerlifting can never really be answered with it depends because it's much more specific because we've got much less scope to kind of work with within a powerlifting setting. So, yeah, that, I, I'm, I'm, that's a... I don't... I see it as much as Mike does, I guess, but, yeah, it depends really... I guess that's just a, a universal term for... I don't really know what the fuck I'm talking about. Kind of. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll tell you what. It's a universal term for two possible things. One, I don't really know what I'm talking about. And two, I'm not going to explain complicated concepts to your dumb Facebook question having entitled ass. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. fuck you. Like, 
they get paid to do this, and I'm going to sit here on Facebook and teach you exercise physiology. Uh, some of us feel like that oftentimes and frustrated, especially if you're a really good coach. You know, like you ask Alan Aragon for the 50th time why healthy fats are a good idea to eat. Jesus Christ, you must answer that question about a trillion times. So he says, you know, you know, Alan, when is it a good like, when's it a good time to have, you know, my protein? Say it depends, you know, because he's really telling you look it up. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But but. So, so a lot of times people say that when they don't know. A lot of times they know everything about it. They just don't really want to tell you exactly what's going on because they don't feel that it's an appropriate time for them to be talking about that. Yeah. What I like to do, and I hold myself to the standard most of the time, is I'll say it depends and I'll list a couple of the basic factors. So with proteins, it depends on some timing considerations, when your workout is, when you go to sleep, when your other meals are, and a couple other things. Right? And, and, and in, if they want to inquire further and I'm in the mood to answer or I have time, I'll answer all the inquiries. But if, if not, I'll say, oh, you know, like my consulting fee is the following. You can call me and we'll talk and I'll charge you money and I'll explain everything you fucking ever want to know. Um, you know you know what I mean? So, so at, at, least, at least you're guiding them to, to some kind of, uh, it depends on these factors. Then they can start looking in. They can Google protein timing. And go, oh, wow. Protein with relation to meals. And they say, oh, you know, so if you eat protein one meal, it's still around after a while, that, that, that kind of thing. So it gives them a little bit of something without just like letting them free but I say, if someone says it depends to you, it looks like you're not getting any free knowledge that day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, absolutely. I, I understand that completely. I mean, I'm not even anywhere near where you are, but I do get asked questions a lot. And sometimes I just, I feel like I'm re either repeating myself to the same person and they're just not understanding it, and almost I need to see them face to face. And so, yeah, it, it does get tempting to just put, like, it depends, and, like, yeah. blank, full stop, don't contact me all the time. Um, <laughs> I think that's another reason as kind of an online coach, and I'm sure you've had the same, like having a Skype consult or a video consult so you can actually get to grips with the whole entire backstory because it does depend a lot on what's gone on beforehand, um, like totally. training, nutrition, everything. Yeah, totally. Agreed. Awesome. So I think we'll call that a wrap, and I just want to let all the guys know who are watching this that Mike is going to be regular on the show so look forward to seeing him every two weeks, there or thereabouts. That's what we'll be aiming for. And we're going to provide you the value that you want. So we, me and Mark are going to be picking the best, most popular, <laughs> most kind of important questions. And uh, Mark, Mike is going to answer those for you. So I think Mark is about to die anyway, so we better get off. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay, I'm okay. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you, everyone. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mark. And we'll see you soon. Cheers, thank you.